1939, Hitler was marching through Europe, conquering one nation after another. The Prime Minister of the United Kingdom at the time, Neville Chamberlain, wanted to appease Hitler, work out terms of peace so that the UK wouldn't be invaded. Winston Churchill, on the other hand, adopted a policy of no negotiation. Uh, he was prepared to stand up to Hitler, whatever the cost. That was the more difficult decision, and I would think history has proved that Churchill took the right path. The defeat of the Nazis has in many ways been seen as the ultimate triumphing of good over evil. The cost was enormous, but doing what was right rather than making pacts with the devil was ultimately vindicated. Now, in our reading today from Isaiah 7, King Ahaz of Judah is facing, I think, a similar situation to the United Kingdom back then in 1939. The Assyrian Empire to the east is sabre-rattling, they're seeking military glory and more territory. And it was an especially cruel and oppressive regime. To the north uh, were much smaller kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Aram. In verse 1 there, you might note, Rezin is king of Aram at the moment and Pekah, king of, e of Israel. Uh, Aram is roughly where Syria is today and you notice the capital is the same, Damascus. Uh, verse 8 in our reading uh, mentions that. Israel is the northern kingdom divided at this time from the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Israel is sometimes referred in this passage as Ephraim, uh, which was the largest tribe of the northern kingdom. But it's the same thing, basically, the northern kingdom, Israel. So you have these three small powers, Aram, Israel and Judah. Aram is a pagan nation. While Israel and Judah are God's people, but divided at the moment. They're all feeling the pressure from this superpower, Assyria. Now, Arab, Aram and Israel have formed an alliance in order to resist Assyria. And they wanted Ahaz there in Judah to come and join them. However, Ahaz had other plans. He, his uh, proposal was to negotiate directly with Assyria and accept whatever terms they might, might offer, even if it meant for them to become a vassal state. Ahaz knew that Rezin uh, of Aram and Pekah of Israel were also wanting to overthrow him. And that's obvious there in the first verse. And uh, they wanted to get rid of him and install their own king who would go along with their plans. So Ahaz here is feeling political pressure from all sides. His two northern neighbours are against him and he's got this superpower Assyria to the east who he's trying to appease. And into this mix, Jeremiah steps and he brings a message from God to Ahaz saying, don't negotiate with Assyria or for that matter with Aram or Israel, but simply trust God and he will deliver you. You can imagine how Amos, uh, 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 sorry, how Amos has um, received Isaiah. Uh, I, I imagine him saying, "Well, look, thanks for the wonderful uh, advice there. That's very spiritual, but you're not a politician, and you don't understand how the system works." And then he would have gone on his merry way. But you know what, apart from that, Ahaz 
a long time ago had stopped wanting a word from the Lord, stopped listening to the Lord. In 2 Kings 16.2, we read this about him. It says, unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places, on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. So he was trusting idols, forgetting about the Lord. His heart was hardened. He wasn't ready to hear a word from the Lord, from the Lord's prophet Isaiah. But you know what? God is so gracious and the word comes anyway. And to start with, it's a reassuring word. Look there in verse 4. Isaiah's word is, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. And then the call to faith in verse 9, stand firm in your faith. But also a warning that if he doesn't stand firm, then he will not stand at all. Given uh, Ahaz's rebellious ways, it's amazing that God would speak to him like this at all. These are words of encouragement and support. Support, words of grace, even given uh, his hard heart. And God, beyond that, is even prepared to offer Ahaz a sign to reassure him that he is with him in the current crisis. Now, for those of you who know your Bible, you might be immediately thinking, well, that's a little strange, a sign? We're not supposed to seek signs, are we? Deuteronomy 6.16 says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And you might recall Jesus in the wilderness when the devil tempted him, show a sign and then they'll all believe you're the Messiah. Jesus quotes this Deuteronomy passage, doesn't he? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Therefore, when Ahaz comes along in verse 12 and says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test, it sounds very pious, doesn't it? That's what Jesus said. However, the question is, is this really genuine piety? Or is Ahaz simply running away from a message he doesn't want to obey? And from everything else we know about Ahaz in the context of this passage, it's obviously the latter. He doesn't want to hear a message from God because he doesn't want to obey. Now, the point about signs is that when we seek them for our personal benefit, that shows a lack of faith. I want a sign, Lord, so I can do this and this or whatever. No, that's a lack of faith. It's not pleasing to God. When God offers a sign, then it's an act of faith to follow it. When it's his initiative. Ahaz rejects God's sign and therefore brings judgment upon himself and the nation. And so listen to verse 13. Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. This is actually a sign of judgment. He's tried the patience of God a bit too far, and it's actually a sign of judgment. How can that be? I mean, this verse 14, it's one we read every Christmas, isn't it? Isn't it a word of salvation? Emmanuel, God with us? Well, it can actually act as both judgment and 
salvation. It's a word of judgment for Ahaz because Emmanuel, God with us, when you're disobedient, is to have your moral culpability exposed. God with us when you believe, when you have a soft heart, is joy, is a longing, is a hoping that he will come. God with us is a disaster for those who are rejecting God. God with us is hope and glory for those who believe. So Ahaz, you see, disobeyed. And so this was a sign of judgment. And the judgment that's coming is the king of Assyria who's going to invade the country, and that's in verse 17. Indeed, all three nations will face God's judgment at the hands of the Assyrians. Uh, So verse 16 there, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. They're the kings of Israel and of uh, Aram. They'll be laid waste and they indeed did fall. And Judah will finally fall as well. All three will be swallowed up. Ahaz has tested the patience of Yahweh one too many times and judgment is now inevitable. But alongside judgment, God always offers mercy and Emmanuel, God with us, carries that message as well. Uh, There is hope. Commentators have trouble identifying who this son is who's going to be born of a virgin uh, in the immediate context who'll bring the hope for, uh, for Judah. One idea is that the son might be the uh, remnant who'll return from exile back into the promised land, that the son might represent those who will come back and begin again, and that will be a sign of God being with them, God Emmanuel. We're in the fortunate position to know that, of course, this son is an individual. We know who the virgin is who will conceive. We know her son will be called Emmanuel. And Matthew, our gospel reading this morning, picks it up so well, doesn't he? Isaiah, he picks up the prophecy of Isaiah in uh, chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The only possible interpretation, of course, of that is Jesus Christ. Jesus come as the babe of Bethlehem. And this is a Messiah who will save not only the nation of Israel, but be a saviour for the world. And we celebrate his birth in one week's time. Beautiful time of year. So isn't it interesting that this well-known verse, which brings so much for so much hope for us, Emmanuel, God with us, back in its original context was actually a word of judgment against King Ahaz for his apostasy and disobedience. But you see, although Israel and Judah uh, failed to be faithful to Yahweh, there is one who in every respect was faithful, that one born at Bethlehem. He is the one who introduces us to this new world which is coming. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, giving us hope. I think one of the keys to this passage is verse 9 there. Uh, It's all about faith, where uh, Isaiah says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That's cast in the negative, I think, because it anticipates Ahaz's lack of faith. But in its positive form, it would say, if you stand firm in your faith, you will stand. It's saying God will be with you. God will save you. Stand firm in your faith. 
In one way it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Faith brings blessing. Lack of faith brings judgment. The question is, though, when the heat is on, will you continue to trust in God, continue to have faith, or will you look for the easy way out? For Ahaz, he looked for the easy way out, and that was to deal with the king of Assyria. Even if it meant being his vassal, being under his thumb, that was better than having to stand up to him. Even if it meant worshipping his gods, adopting his cruel values, that would be better than fighting for the truth and standing up for Yahweh. He took the easy way out, uh, the way of disobedience. I want to share with you a story I read this week uh, of someone who took the other path, the path of obedience. Uh, And it's the life of Boniface. I don't know if you'd know of him, but uh, he was a missionary to Germany back in the 8th century. Uh, in 716 AD, he left England for Fritzia, which is present-day Netherlands. Uh, he there conducted an unsuccessful preaching, a preaching campaign uh, over three years, but later returned in 719 and enjoyed quite a lot of success the second time, uh, convincing Germanic warrior tribes to follow Jesus Christ. Boniface uh, established Christian communities in many German towns and is remembered as the apostle of Germany. He was an academic and he used his intellectual gifts to preach the gospel in a way that persuaded his listeners. Bishop Daniel of Winchester sent this letter to Boniface. It said, you have approached the hitherto stony and barren hearts of the pagans, trusting in the platitude of your faith and have laboured untiringly with the plowshare of gospel preaching. Boniface was appointed Archbishop of Mance near Frankfurt in 746. He was only there a few years because in his heart he wanted to go back to Frisia where he had started and failed and preach the gospel there again to see if he could be successful. And so he did return. But sadly he was killed by local bandits in 754. When set upon by armed men, his own band of disciples drew their weapons to fight. But apparently he said to them this. He said, stop fighting, lads. Give up the battle. We are taught by the trustworthy witness of Scripture that we render not evil for evil, but good for evil. And sadly, Boniface and his party were all killed. So Boniface chose to obey the word of Christ rather than take up the sword or look for an easy escape. His was a path of faith and obedience. Now you might say, well, if he chose God's way, why didn't God save him? (laughs) For Ahaz, if he had obeyed God, would uh, Assyria not have uh, come in and taken him anyway? Well, we don't know. Maybe the Assyrians would have still come in and killed him, but... He would have been standing for God's kingdom, standing for the values of the kingdom, and that would have had lasting fruit, whereas now all we have is an example in the scriptures of disobedience. For Boniface, I'm sure his death bore lasting fruit. He was probably responsible, uh, he was responsible for the conversion of many throughout Germany, the Netherlands, and the rest of Europe. And this is the Middle Ages when Europe was being Christianized, and he had a large part in it. His Christ-like example comes down to us and even inspires us today.
So the bottom line is this. Is, do you have faith or are you rebellious? That's the question here. Ahaz rebelled. And so the sign Emmanuel meant judgment. But for those who have faith, Emmanuel means salvation. My friends, there is a new world coming. One of the lovely things about Boniface is he had a vision for that new world and that was what he was living for. So nothing else mattered. The birth of Jesus Christ is the first fruits of this new world. In the midst of a world with so much sin and heartache and pain, Christmas gives us a glimpse of this new world. The fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy in the babe of Bethlehem should fill us with wonder and joy as we grasp this new world. But even more important than the wonder and the joy, it should fill us with faith. Steadfast faith that stands firm. Faith in the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.